All right, as the children are headed out for Children's Church, let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are the God who provides, and you provide everything that we need. And as we open the Bible to this passage that includes this great promise, we pray that you will open our eyes of understanding, help us to see it clearly, and we pray that your spirit will apply it to our lives and help us to see, Lord, how we can draw nearer to you and how we can trust you in a greater way. We thank you for your presence here. Thank you for what you're doing and, and how you're at work in the lives of the people who have gathered here today. We know there are great needs represented here. And there are family needs. There are financial needs, health concerns, emotional needs, and great spiritual needs. And we know that you can supply all of those needs according to your riches in glory by our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we pray that in this hour we might see how you're going to do that. And may we be open to the work that you will do. Lord, give us open and willing minds and hearts, willing to do whatever it takes that your will would be accomplished. For we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's turn to Philippians 4. We're going to look at the final verses of this letter of Paul to the Philippian church, verses 14 through 23 this morning, which includes the great promise that you just sang in that song, Philippians 4, 19. Full supply for every need. I hope as you... Uh, leave here later, you will have that firmly in your mind that God will supply every need that you have. He can do that. You can trust him to do that. He may not do it in exactly the way you think or even request, but he will supply your need. Look at what uh, Paul says as he closes out this letter in Philippians 4 beginning in verse 14. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek that gift or the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. By Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And with that, he closes this great letter to the Philippian church. And here we are, nearly 2,000 years later, we're still reading this letter, and God is still using it to speak to his church and to those who are 
followers of Jesus Christ. He closes with this great promise. And the promise, though, is often quoted or memorized outside of the context in which it is given. As some take this to be a promise that whatever I want, God will, will give me. People, uh, we have a way of turning our wants into needs, don't we? We can justify it a thousand different ways, that whatever we want, we need it. And we don't need it a month from now, we need it right now. We need it exactly as we request. But that isn't the promise. But the promise is even greater than what we would sometimes ask it to be or hope it to be. The promise is that God really does know what we need and he will supply that need. Look first here at the faithfulness of a gift that is given. This is a passage that really talks about giving too, the power of it, the importance of it, how it should be done. Because here Paul is praising this church for how they had given to help him. The faithfulness of this church. This is the story of a church that cared. Cared enough to support the work of God. Not only where they were, not only in the locale where they were located, but to support the work of God in a distant place. To help this great missionary, Paul. These new Christians never forgot what it had cost Paul and Silas to bring the gospel to them. You can read about it in Acts 16, verses 11 to 40. Remember how Paul and Silas had been arrested. They were beaten severely. They were imprisoned. All because they went to this city, Philippi, and shared the good news of Jesus Christ. And out of that faithfulness to serve God and to share the gospel, this church was birthed. These people initially became to be the first believers of that church in that location. And before Paul left, they had come together and begun to worship Jesus Christ. They never forgot that Paul had literally given himself and had suffered on their behalf so that they could hear the name of Jesus. And so he recounts here how in the beginning of the gospel, he calls it in verse 15, this is when the gospel was just spreading. It was just spreading beyond the bounds of Jerusalem and Judea. And it was now being taken to other parts of the, of the world. This is when the church was just coming to grips with the fact that the gospel was for everyone. It wasn't just for people of the Jewish race. It was for every race, every person. Because Jesus Christ came and gave his life for all people. What he did on the cross, he did for everyone. And so in the beginning of the gospel, Paul says, When I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. And they had helped him multiple times. Even in Thessalonica, he says, You send aid once and again for my necessities. Paul, you know, had been the great enemy of the church. Paul had been Saul of Tarsus, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and he had done all he could to arrest Christians and take them to prison, some undoubtedly to their death. We know he was there when Stephen was stoned, 
holding the, the, the coats of those who stoned him to death. Perhaps that's why churches, Christians, were initially slow to want to help support what he was doing. They weren't sure about Paul. They weren't sure about his conversion. But this church had seen him face to face. He had brought the gospel to them. And now they wanted to help him. And I'm sure because of their faithfulness to help him, then there were others who began to be willing to help him as well. Paul had not forgotten that. Just as how they had not forgotten Paul. He had not forgotten them. This is an important principle of Christian giving. When you give, you give to God. Wherever you're giving. And for whatever ministry you're giving to, you're giving an offering to the Lord for the kingdom of God. Yes, individuals will eventually use those funds that you may give, but it's God that you're giving to. And God takes all of that and uses it for his purpose and to accomplish his will. And here, these Christians gave out of a heart of love and gratitude, and they gave it to God because they loved him. And they gave because they loved what Paul was doing in sharing the gospel and seeking to lead people to faith in him. Paul is saying to them, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for helping in the work that I'm doing to carry out the gospel. And so when you give of yourself, your time, your abilities, and your financial resources, when you give to support the work of sharing the gospel, where you live and around the world, you're doing it for God. You're giving it to him. And you're trusting that this God, who can supply all needs, will take that and use it to supply the needs of his kingdom work. Now when we give, when we serve, when we share, we do it with confidence. We should. Confidence that God is a generous God. He is a benevolent God. He loves to give good things to his people and for the work of sharing the gospel. We know that with God, it's in his nature to give. For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only begotten son. So that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The very heart of God is that he gives. He's given himself. So we can't outgive God. No matter how much we give of ourselves and who we are and what God has blessed us with, we will never outgive God. And so as you let God use your life to be a blessing to others and to the kingdom of God, you do it knowing that God has led the way and he is the greatest giver of all. R.G. Letourneau, some of you know that name. R.G. Letourneau made a fortune in heavy equipment, heavy earth-moving equipment, but he was a Christian gentleman and uh, he eventually became the president of the Gideons at one time, international as well. And he came to the point where he reportedly, uh, lived on 10% of what he earned and made and gave away 90%. And he did that because 
he loved God. And it is said that he was asked about, how can you keep doing that? How can you keep doing this? Well, obviously, you know, his 10% was a pretty large amount of money that he was living on. But it's still a rare thing to find somebody that keeps 10% and gives away 90%. Pretty rare. And here's what he said. I shovel money out and God shovels it back. But God has a bigger shovel. He wasn't giving to get back. He was giving because he loved God. But when you give of yourself, and this is not just a money thing, your time, your abilities, and your financial resources, when you give, and you give willingly, and you give joyfully and generously, you will never outgive God. Because God has everything at his disposal. And I think this is kind of at the heart of what Paul is saying to these Philippians. You have given so much for me. And I think he knew they'd given sacrificially. It wasn't easy for them to do what they did to help him. But they did it because they loved him. And they loved God and they loved the gospel. And Paul is saying to them, what you have given as a sacrifice to God, don't ever be afraid that you are going to come out on the short end of the stick. You're not. Because my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. The context of this promise is to a church of people, to people who had given sacrificially, people who were involved in the, the work of God, who supported the kingdom of God, that's who this promise was made to. These people were giving because they loved God. And now Paul is saying, you will never be able to outgive God. And you're not going to, to lose by giving because God can meet every need that you have. Now, really implicit here is that God has met my need through you. You see, God has everything at his disposal, doesn't he? He has everyone at his disposal. And so the need that Paul had, God had used those very believers to meet his need. My God shall supply all your need. And they had been used of God to meet Paul's need. And just like God did that for Paul, Paul is saying he's going to do that for you too. God will supply all your need. The power of a gift received. Here was a, a, a missionary in prison in Rome who was encouraged beyond measure by the power of that gift. And Paul even says, it's not so much uh, that I needed the money or the help that you sent. It's not so much what I got out of it, but I am thankful to God for what you got out of it by giving. Notice what he says in verse 18. Indeed, I have all and abound. Remember what Paul had said we saw last week in Philippians 4.12. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul had learned to be able to be content no matter what his condition. And so he says to this church, I have learned to be able 
to be content no matter what my circumstances are. But in verse 18, he says, having received from Epaphroditus the thing, the thing sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. He was just grateful that they had had the joy of giving and that it, had, it would rebound, it would redound to their account. Look at verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to you, to your account. Paul knew that it was going to bless them. And this is a great principle of Scripture that when you give, you automatically begin to receive. Now, you don't give in order to receive. But when you give, you begin to receive. Haven't you experienced that? How many times have you gone to visit somebody who was sick or who was down and discouraged? You go to visit them to cheer them up. And what happens to you? You walk away encouraged yourself. You gave. You gave yourself. You gave your time to help that person. And God uses that not only to help that person, but you walk away strengthened and encouraged yourself. When you give, you begin to receive. And you might be able to say, when you're unwilling to give of yourself and what you have, it's going to be really hard to receive. If you want to start receiving in your life the blessing of God, you need to start being a giver. Stop thinking about what, has, what have other people done for me. Start doing for other people. And when you start letting God use you to help others, God will help you. If you just sit waiting for what God's going to do for you, it's probably not. You're not going to see it. Because God wants to bless you as you take your eyes off of yourself and begin to look at the needs of others. Here was this church. They gave to help Paul, and they were blessed in the process. And that is always going to be the case. Now, the blessing may not come in kind. We don't preach seed faith. The idea that, well, if I give $10,000, God's going to give me $100,000 back. You may give $10,000 to help somebody or some ministry, and you may never get that $10,000 back. But God is going to bless you in ways you can't even imagine. You may think, well, I don't have time to let God use me. I'm too busy. So I can't give an hour. I can't give two hours a week. I can't be a part of a ministry that is desperately in need of people to help with service because I don't have time. Well, you're never going to have time if you don't start making time. You have to start serving, and then God will supply your need for time, for priorities, your time for all that you need if you're willing to give your time to him yourself to him. The promise of a gift received, the power of a gift received, God uses it to not only bless the person you're trying to help, he blesses you. He helps you. He changes your heart. He changes your way of thinking. And you begin to see the power of God in his kingdom. Paul says their gift to him Notice how he describes it. 
It is a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to who? To God. They sent a gift to Paul. But Paul says your gift was to God. So you see, that's the biblical basis for saying that when you give to support the work of sharing the gospel, when you give of yourself and all that you are so that the kingdom of God is extended, you're giving to God himself because God, he knows all that we do. He knows the heart with which we do it. Then there's the promise here of a giving Lord, verse 19. And as we've said, in response to their gift, Paul says to them, and my God shall supply all your need. They had just supplied his need. God used them to supply his need. And Paul says, my God will supply your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. When he says, my God, he's making it personal, isn't he? God himself, my God will supply your need. Who is my God? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That was my God. The God who raised up Moses as the deliverer of Israel. The God who parted the Red Sea and let the people of Israel walk through on dry land and then drowned the armies of Pharaoh in that same Red Sea. My God. The almighty God will supply all of your need. The God who led Joshua to walk around the walls of Jericho and then God caused those walls to fall down. My God will supply all your need. The God who enabled David, a shepherd boy, to defeat the giant Goliath. My God will supply all of your need. You may be facing some giants in your life. Well, God is able to provide a David. He is able to supply your need to overcome the giants that you face in your life. The God of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and all of the other prophets of God, my God will supply all of your need. The God of the virgin birth who caused Mary to become with child miraculously so that the Savior of the world would come into this world, intervening in human history. My God will supply all of your need. The God who raised Jesus from the dead. Death itself could not hold him. The grave could not hold him. My God, that God, will supply all of your need. Paul was confident. He had no doubt that God would supply what these Christians needed. And the statement of promise here, God will supply your need. Not just my God, but my God will supply all of your need. Maybe the most important little word here is all. Some translations say every need. All of your need. Every need. It's not limited. Do you need forgiveness? This God will supply your need for forgiveness. He'll set you free from sin if you'll ask him to. Because Jesus has paid the price for your sin. 
And if you'll ask him to forgive you, he will. And he'll come into your life and become your Savior and Lord. Do you need hope? He is the God of hope. He'll supply that need for hope. We all need hope. We all need confidence that there's a brighter future ahead. Maybe you need healing in your life. Maybe you need healing in your family. God can supply that need. If you'll look to Him, if you'll turn to Him, He'll supply that need. Are you tired and about to give up? Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is the God who can supply all of your need. What about the future? Are you confused about the future? What's going to happen tomorrow? Where, what's going to happen to me? How am I going to get by? How am I going to make it? Well, this God is already out there. He knows the future. He can make the future. And he will supply your need. If you need a miracle, this is the God who can do miracles according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. He can do what is needed in your life. And so this promise is as comprehensive as it gets. It is comprehensive of all the needs of life. You know, people tend to think of only money when they see this promise. But this is so much bigger than that. All of the needs of your life, my God will supply those needs. No one else can. Nothing else can. But my God can. Your God can supply your needs. And the sufficiency of the promise, according to his riches in glory, by Christ Jesus. This is God's way of saying, there's no end to what I can do. Sometimes we look at a balance sheet financially or a balance sheet of our life, the past, the present, and we think the future then is defined only by what has been and what is now. We see the resources that we have or we think we have. And we think there's no way things will ever be different or better. But you see, God has everything at his disposal. And his riches in glory by Christ Jesus encompass all things. And so he can bring all of that to bear to change your future to be something different than your past or your present. It's, he's not limited the way we're limited. And so this promise is that God can take his resources which are infinite. It's like an ocean with no bottom and no shore. It's endless. It goes on and on for eternity. He can take all of that to accomplish what you need in your life. And so never think that you're asking God too much. God is not defined by what you and I can even think about. He can do whatever he wills to do whatever he pleases to do. And that is what we need. Our need is defined by what God desires, what God plans. And if we're willing to conform our desires to his will and plan, there's no limit to what God can do with your life. 
But you have to be willing to submit yourself to him and trust what he can do. This promise is not a blank check that guarantees an easy road or an answer to all of our requests or even our demands. Sometimes we demand things from God, don't we? God doesn't respond to our demands, but he will provide what we need. Our needs are determined and defined by who he is, not by who we desire to be. And so God will do whatever we truly need if we're willing to turn to him and to trust him. And I think that is borne out by these final verses. Verse 20, now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul's in prison. He doesn't know what the future holds for him, specifically when he's going to die, how he would die. Whether he would die in that prison, he didn't know. But he's glorifying God. That's the desire of his heart. And then he says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Did you know you're a saint? If you've accepted Jesus into your life, you're a saint. You're a holy one. You're a set-apart one unto God. So biblically... This is as clear as it gets about what a saint is. A saint is not a dead Christian that has been elevated by vote of a church to be somebody you can pray to and ask for help from. Nowhere in the scripture is that found. Totally foreign to the scripture. But you are a saint. Greet every saint, Paul says. Was he talking about dead people? People who had already died and been elevated? No, that's not what he meant. That's foreign to the scripture. But what he is saying is every Christian, every believer is a saint. Greet every saint, he says, in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. And so you have been set apart as a holy one for Jesus Christ, for him to live in you and through you. And Paul is concerned uh, that they would understand that he is thinking about them and loves them and is praying for them. And then verse 22, all the saints, there's that word again, all the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. Now, it's easy to just read over that today, 2,000 years later. The gospel is spread all over the world. And to miss how significant that statement was. Paul was telling these Philippians. Your giving and your praying and your serving is not in vain. In fact, you have helped the gospel to come to the very seat of power in this world. To Caesar's household. There are Christians. There are saints in Caesar's Household. This was about 30 years after Jesus rose from the dead. And within 30 years, the gospel had gone from Jerusalem to Caesar's household. By the power of God. By the gifts of these saints. By the service and the prayers of these Christians and many others. 
Paul is letting them know God is at work. The kingdom of God is marching forward. And you are a part of what he is doing. That hasn't changed. The kingdom of God is still marching forward. We don't know when Jesus is going to come back. He's going to come back. And until that day comes, his kingdom will keep marching forward. Sometimes it, it's not visible, all that is happening. These Christians in Caesar's household, I'm sure that they weren't that visible to many. But Paul knew they were there. God knew they were there. And God is at work around us. And he's at work all over this world. So be faithful where you are. Serve the Lord. Give of yourself, your time, your talents and abilities. Give of the financial resources you have. And know that when you give, it is an offering to God, and He's going to use it to the ends of the earth. He's going to use it to accomplish His will. And along the way, He will supply every need you have, even as He uses you to supply the needs of others. To God be the glory. He has done great things, and he is doing great things, and he will give full supply for every need. Will you pray with me? We thank you, Lord, for this tremendous letter of Paul to the Philippians that you inspired to be written, and we believe it is your perfect word and we're still learning from it, being challenged by it, being encouraged with these words today. And we pray that if there are those here who need to make a commitment to you, there may be someone who needs to receive Jesus as their Savior and find the need of their forgiveness to be met by Jesus. May this be the moment that they're willing to say, Jesus, I know I am a sinner I have done wrong, and I need your help. And I pray that you will forgive me and come into my life. And we know, Lord, if someone is willing to receive your love and forgiveness, you are ready to provide it. You promise that. That's why you came. And we pray that if there's someone here who needs to give their life to you, this will be the moment they do so. Perhaps others need to take a public stand for Jesus and say, I have accepted Christ into my life and I want the world to know and I want to follow him in baptism. Or church membership, someone here may need a church home where they can put down spiritual roots and serve with other Christians, just like that church at Philippi. We pray, Lord, that your will now would be done in these moments of invitation and when we leave here, may we know that we have been obedient to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.